I'm Maya. I'm Samnika. And this is episode eight of season two of Bitch, Bitch, I'm I'm Just just Trying to Graduate. graduate. So this is the second part of our job series. And in this episode, we're going to talk about making... In this episode, we're going to talk about CVs, also known as resumes, Mm -hmm. research statements, and personal statements. Those are like the three key things that you would need when you are going on the job market. Because... For sometimes for postdoc fellowships, you need to actually write a personal statement and a research statement or just one for everything. You have to write, have a CV. And then sometimes instead of the research statement, you might have to do a cover letter. Yes. which is kind of like a little mini version of your research statement because you still want to, in a cover letter, hit the highlights of what your research was. Mm-hmm. Mm, I mean, and it depends on your job market too. So like with me per se... I didn't have to do a research statement. Thank God. Mm-hmm. And um, I more so had to like sell myself through a cover letter. And to me, I like that approach. Uh, research statements, I think, are fine and fun. But they kind of want you to explore like what you would do after you were done like with the research you're doing. And what if you still pursue this? And I'm like, well... I... For a research statement? Yeah, like they, they always want to know like, hey, you Last finished your paragraph. research. Yeah, and like what would you plan to do afterwards? And I'm like, well, that kind of depends on where I go. Like I, I want to... But it can be broad. It can be really broad. You some don't people, have to have like... Some, some people... places don't don't want it really broad. Most places do. Mm. But some places are like, ah, ah no. I think it might it definitely depends on the job type. Yeah. Like, if it's, like, a job that's, like, one or two years, they might want to something, like, if it's, like, a postdoc and they, like, are not, if it's, like, maybe a postdoc fellowship. Yeah. And they are, because I did, I did have one, um, a couple of postdoc fellowships where, uh, because it was, like, a one or two year fellowship, they want to know exactly what you're going to do for those two years. But if you're applying for a professorship, you know, they're planning on you being there for the next 20, 30 years. So, they just want to know what's the broad theme of what your research is going to do. What are some big questions you're going to answer. They don't necessarily have to be like, okay, this specific hypothesis, it's like, in general, over the course of the next 20 years, I'm going to have 100 papers on this topic. And I mean, you know, and you should be that optimistic and and, and talk about all the work that you plan on doing and what Mm -hmm. you plan on doing. But I think for me, it's like I... I love learning, and I like being able to incorporate new things that I learn. Mm-hmm. So I feel like research statements are good as far as, like, grounding you on what you want to know. Okay. Instead of you just going out there and just willy-nilly just going out there and just doing research. But I think for certain positions, I feel like your cover letter kind of should should strengthen and let people know why you have the skills and the abilities not just in the research perspective, but like just overall. Mm-hmm. And it kind of should be like, I do good research. My, here are my credentials on my good research. But outside of research, I also can do this and I can do this and I can do this. Yeah, your your cover letter definitely should be like a brief introduction. I think most people say your cover letter shouldn't be more than one page. Yeah. So it's, it's a cover letter. It's one, one, one page. page. So maybe we should 
go in and define before we get offered on a yeah, whole tangent. Yeah, we already tangent. went into these research statements, but yeah. You know, so like, let's define each piece of what we're talking about. So again, a cover letter is basically a letter or one-page letter in which you as the applicant need to sell yourself without overdoing it. Like, give them a little, give them a little side eye, but not like, the whole thing you know like just let them know oh, i'm like give all of it you better have a full face contour not just a little makeup on oh yeah like yeah but like you don't also go in there and be like and i'm about to kiss every window in here you know like mm. you like you give them the face you smolder a little bit you smize a little bit okay like you let them know you the shit yeah. and then you be like all right and Thank you for your consideration. Goodbye. You know, like... Yeah, like, you know, contact me for more information. You leave them with a number at the end of the night. You show them a little leg. There you go. There you, you know, go. Make them want to, you know, follow you home. Uh, not I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Don't follow me home. <laughs> <laughs> that was not right. Yeah, but, you know, you know, you know, this... More just like when you... You, you kind of like that come hither, so they're going to follow you home like a little puppy dog. And not stalking. You come hither, but don't follow me home. <laughs> yeah, you give them a come hither, but don't don't follow me home. Okay. That's that's a perfect way to, to, to <laughs> sum that up. Um, yeah, so your cover letter is more of your come hither, mm-hmm. and your um, then your cover letter, which should basically make you out to be the best of the best of the best, sir. Yeah, like you do this, you do that. You're the shit. You should know I'm the shit. Here is why I'm the shit. You it should know. make them want to read your CV because a lot of yes. times the cover letter is the first thing they read. The first some thing of them they go read. straight for the CV, but a lot of times Mm-mm. you know read the cover letter to see if it's even worth reading. See, can you string two sentences? And here's together. the trick to the cover letters, guys. Um, so in the application or in the announcement for the job, mm-hmm. they have keywords that they Use put those in keywords. there. Use those keywords. Write whatever position that you are applying for. Start if they're looking for a dedicated, independent, mm-hmm. or hardworking, or a collaborative. Like you incorporate those, incorporate those words in what you do. Yep. And you let them know, like, oh, I'm independent. I'm hardworking. I'm collaborative. Mm-hmm. And these are things that they're like, hmm. She's checking off all the boxes. Of what we want. And you give them a little, a little zhuzh, You know, like, hey. Mm-hmm. Sprinkle some salt, salt bay on top of it. Uh-huh. You know, just give them a little spine, a little shine, a little spackle, you know, of what you do. And, um... Yeah, that's your, how it should go. Yeah, because your CV is going to stay the same no matter what job you apply for. Yeah. Depending on if it's a research focus or a teaching focus. It's either going to um, grow or stay the same. Yeah. Because you're only yeah. going to add things in what you've done. Now, don't be on any of these other folks. I can go on Somebody a tangent just about... Somebody um, fine for... Uh, for lying. Like, you got a government, for a government position. Girl, you crazy. Like, like fine, I think, in jail, too, for lying on to get a position. Yeah, we have any waterboarding you somewhere. Ugh. I mean, like, but um, your CV, which is basically, um, like, a fancier resume. What do they call it? The... It's Curriculum Vitae. Yes. And, um... In my ignorance, I don't know that. But um, I can't That's pronounce it. Yeah, I don't but, uh, think I pronounced it right. And um, basically, it's a list of all everything you've done. Mm-hmm. So the way that it usually goes is you put your name, your current email address, and a phone number that you can be reached. Mm-hmm. That is all you need at the top. 
You don't need. I hate when people put like all that designy template. They picture. Yeah, don't. Most places don't want stuff. your picture. No, just put, maybe that stuff will be like your name in bold. And like I know your, your name in bold in sixteen point font, and then your address and phone number in twelve point font. There you go. Like if you want to add a pop of color, sure. If you want to do the legally blonde and print it all on oh, paper. No. Sure, but the yeah. main thing that, that matters with a CV is the meat and potatoes of it as far as your educational background, mm-hmm. your research or work background, your so work experience, and then publications, abstracts, presentations, uh, any societies that you've been a part of, any awards that you've given, getting, given, Lord, you've been given, Lord have mercy. God. Gotten, getting, go, blah, blah, blah. Um, any <laughs> awards that you have received. There and then if you have mentored anybody, if mm-hmm. you've been a part of any extracurricular activities. If you if, have any technical skills. If you're a part of a um, fraternity or sorority. Like, all those things are what they want to see. Service. And at some point, mm-hmm. when you start off your first year, your CV is going to look more like a resume. So, usually a resume is one page, maybe two pages. By the end of your fifth year of a PhD, um, because even at the end of your master's, at the end of your master's, you might have two pages. Mm -hmm. By the end of your fifth year, you should at least have three to four pages because you don't take stuff off. With your resume, you would take stuff off and you just put the most recent stuff, um, the most relevant stuff for that position, and it has to be one or two pages. For your CV, there are CVs that are 20 pages long. Mm-hmm. Right now, my CV is eight pages long because my CV has my education. It has my work experience. It has my research. It has my teaching. It has students that I've mentored. It has societies that I'm part of. It has my service and outreach. It has any grants or fellowships that I have, any awards, and it has technical skills. Um, yeah, so it's... Um, and then, like, and with teaching the classes that I've taught, what type of classes they were, and that's, you know, and I just keep adding to it. I will never take anything off my CV. And depending on what type of job you are going to apply for, you have two TV, CVs. You have a teaching CV and a research CV. Yeah. Now, the teaching CV is where you put the teaching stuff at the top. So you have education, teaching, research. Yeah. The research CV, you put the... Research, research at the top. top. So you mm-hmm. have education, research, and then teaching. Yeah. And I mean, some people, they do it's other little things you can add to your CV. One person uh, put like, um, you know, their interests. So like some keywords of like things that I'm interested in studying. Yeah, I actually well added as, that to mine um, at the top where it's just like my research interests. So yeah. it's like two lines. So just, you know, computational ecology, disease ecology, stuff like that. The way I was taught is that you always put those keywords up there because most of the time when people are looking at CVs, they're looking at so many. So if you have that, your research interests and keywords already at the top, it might actually have them put you in the pile of CVs they want to look at. Yeah. Besides those that they don't really care about. Yeah, some of them, they just do that first glance and then they go through... And you want to make yours stand out so you can get past that first page. Yeah. And on the pe- first page of some people, they um they like to put the skills that they've acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, they sometimes put it, enough mine is all the way at the end. That's the last thing on mine. Right. Some people like to put it like before they even put the re- the research or teaching because mm-hmm. some places they'd be like, oh, this person's interested in this. Oh, and they have the skill we're looking mm-hmm. for. 
So if you're looking for somebody that's strong in GIS and you see GIS right under what they're going for, then it might give them a double whammy to include your application. Some of that stuff I put in my CV, mm-hmm. in my um, cover letter. Yeah. And then um, definitely in a research statement. So I yeah. guess maybe we should talk about research statements now. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, research statements is you're telling what your what research you have done. Perfect time to hype yourself up. Like you might say, okay, I did this research and then this was the uh, the questions and the conclusions. And if it's been published, it's been published in this journal. And even say it was the first author publication in this journal. Um, as, as I've gone through the last three years from making research statements for fellowships for like dissertation type research statements towards making a tenure track reason, um, a research statement for a professorship. So I originally did my research statement. It was in chronological order. So it was in what I did for my master's. And then as I went through doctorial and just the order in which I did things. Now my research is actually, I, I group my research into different categories. So like one of my research areas is using long-term data sets and I've mm-hmm. used long-term data sets in both my master's and my PhD. So that the information that's towards the long-term data set, I put it kind of like under that category. So it actually has a bolded heading. And then I have one of biodiversity disease relationships. So then the relation of then the research that's towards that is in there. And then I have a a paragraph at the beginning that kind of just ties everything in together. So basically showing how both of those, because you don't want you you want to you have to find a common thread between all the research projects that you've done. Yeah. Where because you don't want to seem as though you're just a, you know, someone is like, oh, here, like a squirrel, where you're just like taking a whole bunch of things. You need to figure out that how you can tie it together because when you, they are hiring you, especially as a professor, they want you to reach, build a research program around something. They're usually looking for someone with um, this broad interest. So you just find like, you make a paragraph that's like broadly. Uh, you don't necessarily have to do this if you're applying for like, like a postdoc because a postdoc, you're typically applying for a job that's one or two years. But if you're mm-hmm. applying for any job where you're going to work there long term, you want to make sure you put it in the broad spectrum of things. Yeah. And then towards the end, you have a section of like future directions. So again, this is a broader way of what you hope to do for the next five to ten years mm-hmm. if you are applying for that one or two year fellowship. They might want you to go more into specifics. Yeah. So you will still, and they usually, that one, those type of applications tend to be a little bit longer. You might have two to three pages. Whereas for the research statement for a professor job, you only have like two pages. Yeah. Because that extra page is those detailed of, these are the questions that I'm going to answer in the next one or two years. You might have two main questions and then a brief thing of how you plan to do that. Mm-hmm. The methods that you might need to do it with. Um you can definitely use cite. I know some people don't think that they can use citations in their research statement, uh, the, but the citation should use if you have things already published. So, like for my research statement, since I talk about all my research when I was applying for a job, I had eight publications. Yeah. So I talked about all eight publications and I cited them using numeric citations. And then at the end, I just had a list of those citations. Even though those same citations was in my CV, people don't necessarily look at things together. But just like, hey, here's a Here's this thing. Um, but if you are doing the the, the, the future direction section for, and you're like proposing specific research as for a supposed like you might have citations that are not actually your paper. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that that's being a good scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you wouldn't just put random facts in there and not cite them. Yeah. You done did five years of this thing. He's just now just willy nilly with it, huh? 
Oh, actually, I'm looking at my research statement right now. It's like, yeah, so my my paper, my references were all mine. The last one was the paper that wasn't cited for mine. And Ooh. I think the paper that wasn't cited for mine was in the, um, it was in my future direction section. Yeah. Like, you probably want to follow or you want to, uh, this work has inspired you to kind of look at this and that. And that's kind of how you, you sometimes phrase it. Um, so the last thing we wanted to discuss as far as bringing up the rear is your personal statements. So a personal statement, and I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before, but a personal statement is basically a statement that talks about you and why you are passionate about what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, it should date back probably to like when you first became interested in the field of whatever you're studying. Yeah, mine dates back to seventh grade. Yeah, um, mine just says as a kid, because as a kid, I was curious about many things, and I had many career goals. I, at one point, wanted to be a Barbie doll, and um, <laughs> oh, then I upgraded from a Barbie doll to a Disney princess, and I realized, sadly, that you can be neither one of those things, um, unless you're Nicki Minaj. And, I'm um, a Disney princess until they send me my Hogwarts letter. I would have been a Disney princess, but <laughs> I, um, I did not want to buy the apple, and go to sleep and that's not that tough. there's so many more Disney fitnesses I didn't want to um, you know live under the sea and lose my voice trying to you know appease a man and Moana she's the only one I like and I know, Tiana right? but you know Mulan I would I would definitely cut off my hair and go to war to save my dad mm. I don't know about falling in love with with, with my uh, my supervisor oh, I mean but in what capacity was her dad really gonna do like I feel like he just would've been like on the heel telling him what to do I know he would've been like the, the general yeah alright we digress we digress so a personal statement mm. so a personal statement would uh, basically date back <laughs> to when you were first interested in whatever you were interested in and um, whatever your field is in. And, like, as a kid, I was always interested in things that pertain to this, this, and this. As I grew up, my parents probably helped me foster. Or if your parents did, or may, maybe it was your, your cousin Ray Ray. You never know. Like, you got some exposure to whatever you were interested in as you grew up. And then you went to undergrad and you pursued this. And... Or if you didn't even pursue whatever you was in your field or whatever you desire, mm -hmm. put that in there and then tell them, like, at what point did you realize that you didn't want to do what you were doing mm -hmm. and that you switched to this? And it's basically, a personal statement is basically the story of you. Yep. It is the story of you and how did you get to where you are today? And from where you got today, what do you plan on doing next? You that, literally are selling them your who. So who are you? Uh -huh. The what? What are you trying to do? Uh -huh. Definitely the why. So why do you want to do, do what, what you're, you're doing? Yeah. yeah. Why and do you want to be a researcher? Why do you want to get your PhD? Why do you want to be a professor? Why do you want to be a postdoc? Why do you, you know, depending on who's asking you that, you telling them why you want to do that. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's more so your cover letter is used to... Uh, Invoke and, and inform. Mm -hmm. Your personal statement should be used to give you a feeling. They should invoke feeling. Mm -hmm. So I'm informing you that I'm the greatest in my cover letter. But I'm giving you the story of how me. How I became the greatest. How I became the greatest. Because that is truly a difference. There is a difference yeah. between if you have two people that have 4.0s mm -hmm. and one person 
You don't come from a rich family. They had tutoring all their lives. They ain't struggled for shit. Yeah. And you have one person who came from a single family home, had to deal work, with adversity. Yeah. Work full time to get the undergrad and they still managed to get a 4.0. Yeah. Who has more grit? Yeah. Who has more? Who has overcome more? Who would you want to hire? They want to know your sacrifice. Yeah. Like, that's the key thing. They want to know what is it about you that makes you unique? What is it about your... And I won't use the word struggle because I'm sick of that word. Yeah, and it's I, a fine line. And I get to the point where I'd be like, I'm not telling you my damn struggle. I'm going to tell you yeah, what I that's, do. That's, that's, yeah, that's that's what I was going to talk about because it's like, it's a fine line between some some people are like, you know, you want to be resistant to like some people that just want to like, they, they're just like in love or they're fascinated with black pain. Yeah. Um, they want you to like, you're like, oh, why do you want me to tell you my struggle story? Yeah. Like, why are you, you know, what if they don't think my struggle story, my, my story is enough that they don't think I've had enough struggle? Because I've had mm-hmm. it as a PhD student, they'll be like, um, they interview me and then this interview never got published. It never got a thing because my story was enough of a struggle. Yeah. And I'm sitting up here like, she's asking me questions. I was like, but I didn't, um, I'm sorry, I didn't grow up. You know, my dad had a good union job. Like, okay. I was good. Like, I'm, not every black person that's in academia, that's in grad school, came from the ghetto. Like, one, I think I told you about the person that was like, hot take. I should you not. I've been, I've sat through, for, for a PhD program, I've sat through interviews where one, one person that is of, uh-huh. Caucasian descent uh-huh. would tell another person of Caucasian descent, like they were they were talking about black and brown people as if they were like basketball, like baseball cards. Like this one is from Compton, and he's had to deal with a life of crime and struggle. Oh Why this one is from New York, and they've had to deal with the grisly streets of New York, and this one's from Atlanta. I, I was like, why? Is all that fanfare important? Why is why is our struggle important? Our struggle does not necessarily define us as far as how smart we are and if we are capable of doing the jobs that we are there to do. It's that's just we put that in there more so so you know that we ain't no we ain't no punk about no shit. You know, right. like and we not gonna allow you to run over us. But Or just to prove to you like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't have a three a four point I have a three point eight. But Timmy might have a four point But guess what? Timmy wasn't working full time while he got that four point right. I got a three point eight, and I was. I'm, you know, just to ex- kind of explain the why behind. You know, you know, I've never been a. I, you know, I haven't always wanted to be a PhD since I was sixteen. Yeah, it's not in my genes. It's not like it's yeah. not been ingrained with me. I don't know most all the people ropes. don't. Most people don't know what a PhD is unless you got somebody with a PhD. Unless you know somebody with a PhD, or unless you're surrounded by black people with PhDs. Like there's a lot of people out there in which like now it's getting a little bit more mm-hmm. noticed, but it's still a lot of young people out there that don't know that black people can get PhDs. Shit, I didn't know I could get a PhD, and I didn't even know what a PhD was until. My master's. Me? Neither. And that's why I was just sitting over there and I was like, I don't necessarily like to put all the bad and all the struggle because everybody got their own. You never realize, you never, you you literally never realize that when you start college that all your professors have PhDs. Yeah. You don't know that that's the grade they got, Mm -mm. the degree they got. But it's none of, it's what we digress from most of the stuff, but my whole thing is that it ain't nobody business but what they do. 
on how much struggle you had to go through unless you feel like telling them the struggle. And just be careful how much you tell them because a lot of people like to brag mm-hmm. about the fact that they brought in somebody who has made it through adversities. Or they start telling other people and then you end up going to an interview because your advisor recommended you think you're going to talk about your publication and it's about what adversity you went through and you sitting up here like, what, 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 what adversity? Yeah. Like this shit, I'm like, I'm not, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing with personal statements, and I've told a couple few people this, that I had issues with writing my personal study statements is especially when you're writing things for diversity stuff and usually you have to talk about you know you you have to talk about your why and a lot of times our why is any of the the barriers or any of the things that we did have to overcome and everyone's journey is their own and some people have had to overcome more things than not but I've literally had where I've had white people, white professors who have edited, you know, giving comments on my personal statement mm-hmm. telling me that something it wasn't necessarily for me to put it in there or that I need to or they would like kind of change it to make it seem more dire than it already was because they think that I'm not saying it what or they're like oh this is inelegant to say Mm -hmm. and I did that for when I applied for the Ford Foundation the first time and guess what the comments I got because I'm thinking oh okay they know what they're talking about let me edit it and then I get comments back saying it seems like I'm not genuine or not or not or I need to expand on my outreach and expand on this and that because they're not used to the personal statements that will be right no they're not used to like they don't understand what's the the rationale behind me saying that you know as a, a, a smart black person, um, as a smart black kid, it was expected for me to be either a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I never knew the possibilities of becoming a professor that yep. I can teach and do research. And they're like, well, what does this have to do with anything? Even though I did stuff like, you know, was in STEM things and, and DAP set and in robotics and whatnot. It was mm. all towards me being a doctor or, or engineer. Not necessarily, hey, you can be an ecologist. And I'm like, I didn't learn about this until junior year. And they're yep. just like, to them, this story is boring. But I'm like, but it's my story. So just make sure when you are writing your personal statement, that is true to you. When you're writing about your outreach, your outreach doesn't always have to be like me. My outreach is not just STEM outreach. I think I've said this. My outreach is volunteering at the homeless shelter, is volunteering at the soup kitchen, yep. is doing things like that. Because how can you expect people to care about science if they're worried about not having food, food. on their plate mm-hmm. or a home over their head? Mm-hmm. How can we, I don't want to live, even though I'm a part of academia, I don't want to be in the academic bubble. I want to be involved in the community. Yes. And then that's a better way to actually have an impact with people because, you know, they see me and they're like, you know, a lot of people think PhDs live in this ivory tower. And yeah, you're going to think people live in the ivory tower when you don't actually interact with them and not realize they're just regular people. Yeah. And that, that's a key thing. It's like you want to make yourself as approachable and understandable as possible. And at the same time, in your personal statement, you you don't want them to always, I say be honest mm-hmm. and not necessarily be blunt because you don't want to come off as like <laughs> rude or an asshole or anything. But you can tell them that like due to adversities, due to not having access to programs we had to make a way Mm -hmm. to learn like you can phrase stuff like that because it's very true like not everybody has summer programs not everybody had after school programs that catered to science Uh, and and we know that in a lot of uh, black communities 
shit, people prioritize sports over over yep. science. And all the ones that they had in my school, I went to Detroit Public School, they don't even have those anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that that stuff, I, I had that in middle school, but by the time I got to high school, because of funding and budget cuts, you know, in a matter of three years, all that stuff was gone. Yep. And I mean, and this, again, is just more of a teaching you what not and what not to say in your personal statement. You can be as honest mm-hmm. You should be as honest as possible. And what I'm trying to say is that you can be honest to a T and you can let people know about your struggle, but don't be afraid. Well, don't be upset if they want to expand on it. And if you haven't really fully dealt with the trauma of some of the stuff that you put in your cover letter, you are going to have a hard time dealing with some people. Yeah, only put the stuff that you are comfortable with sharing. Just sharing. And be pretty careful with um, some of the stuff that you share because even with, and this is just sharing because now that we, you know, we're talking about in this job market, want to talk about letters of recommendation. Be very careful in what you share with the people who will write you letters of recommendation Hell, because yes. they may put stuff in your letters of recommendation that you might not want to do. There was one person um, that I was talking to where she was, she was asking where she was writing a letter of recommendation for someone and she knows some of her struggles. She's like, is it appropriate for her to put in the letter of recommendation? Should she ask the person if she should put it in? I'm like, you definitely should ask her, you know, because you don't know if she wants to put those things, if she wants them to know about those things. Like, yes, you've seen her overcome some things, Mm -hmm. but don't necessarily put those in her personal statement, in her letter of recommendation, unless she specifically, um, without asking her for her permission. Right. She might not want, she might want to, okay, I'm going to a new place. You want to have a fresh start. You don't want to bring baggage on for another spot. Right. I mean, your your personal statement should be shining examples of how great you are. Mm -hmm. And when someone is writing you one you you can say hey um you could you not include this or what they will put in there yeah and i mean and and it could be people trying to celebrate your accomplishments the Mm -hmm. great things you do and that's wonderful some stuff is not appropriate for letters of recommendation (laughs) and i mean i'm i'm thinking about what i i remember somebody put on twitter not too long ago um their experience with a uh, professor writing them a letter of recommendation and just some of the language they used in their letter of recommendation. It was just so passively microaggressive. And I mean, basically, like calling them a bulldog with a bone. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I oh mean, it was just a what the fuck. I, like, I'm. it was just like, wow. Like, if I was somebody and I had read that, I would have been like, a bulldog with a bone. Well, I mean, because they're trying to show that, oh, they have, like, they're hardworking and they just are like, because, yeah, because they were like, yeah. No, um, unsuspectingly, they're they're basically saying you can be aggressive and assertive. Yeah, and they're trying to put it out as a, maybe thinking it's a good thing, but it's not necessarily, when you're talking about a black woman, that is not. No, that is not a good thing. You do not call a black woman a bulldog. And then you're talking about, oh, I told her that I didn't want to have a... Um, that I, I couldn't have a graduate student or something like that. And I didn't but want her in really my lab. Pers- but she was really persistent. She was like a bulldog. And I'm just like, yeah. oh my fucking and it's God. Keywords, man. It'd be keywords. The persuasive, uh, tenacious. Remember somebody called me tenacious? Mm. Um, and you was like, uh-uh, no, we ain't mm. doing that. No, and I mean, like, it's it's just, words mean things. We took that from the read. Y'all Even know, like, Kate Ferry, Crystal. Agency. And, um... 
and um, arrogant. Well, those are those are definitely you don't cocky, want cocky, arrogant. And well, the I mean, thing is, you call him cocky, arrogant. But if it was a white man, you would call him confident. Yes, and I mean, and it, and and courageous, and they have valor. And I mean, I mean, like what what the fuck are these words? I, it, there's a whole nother podcast we can use on just how words, adjectives can be used as weapons against people. And Shit, I'm dealing with the young being used as a weapon against me and people yeah. are trying to tell me, oh, I should be happy that I look young. But I'm like, no, young is being dismissive. Yeah. When is 30 years old, like depending on who you talk to, you know, I'm 31 years old. An 18 year old will call me old. Yeah. You know, why is someone saying, well, you look young. You look like you might be... You look like you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You right. know, and, and, and... You look like you're too young to be a doctor. You look like you could be one of my my my, my kid's friends, and my kid is 16. And that's the issue. Like, I don't if look you read, fucking 16 years old. You read certain uh, personal uh, well, letters of recommendation, and it's just certain words... They're like the young, but then you from young, you get immature. Yeah, or or you not, they might say young and ambitious. And when you put young and ambitious together... Immature and don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, but we, well, no. No, not... Ambitious. Not, not, not necessarily. So no, sometimes it depends on the context of when they use ambitious. Mm. So you can say young and ambitious towards like research and, and uh, collaborations. Mm. That's not bad. Now, when you say young and ambitious towards like all walks of what they do... Committees and 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 they're and like they're assertive with their committees. It's, mm. it's more so on the follow up of the ambition. Everybody should have ambition, right? But when they use keywords around that word ambition, and it makes you out more so to be too assertive, like you're bossing your you're bossing your boss, you're bossing right. your committee. That's when shit gets weird. I feel like if you put young next to ambitious, because ambitions is ambitious is nice. What? Why are we putting young? Why? When people, I see anytime people say someone looks young or young, I never, I, re, I don't see that as a compliment ever. So well, I see the young as a negative. Ambitious might be a positive, but when you put young and ambitious together, you get, you know, ambitious is you're shooting for the stars. But if you're ambitious and you're young, it's kind of like you don't know what you're doing. You're shooting for the stars and you really don't. I mean, that's just the way that I see it. Yeah, I mean, but, I, yeah. I see it. I can see it as both. But I feel like the words around young and ambitious oh. really kind of have to set it off. Because if you say just as toxic as young can be, uh, you can say seasoned. And that can be just yeah, as toxic. Yeah, that's toxic because then that's old. He'd be like, you old as hell, your yeah. ass need to retire. But at yeah. the same time, you can say young. Why, young why, are, can we be, even, why, are, we, why are we even doing this ageist language? Though? Right. Yeah. But you, can, you should just say this person this comes in with fresh ideas. Yep. And fresh, new, and ambitious ideas. I love that. That can be beneficial. Yep. But Let's some take people, young out of the dictionary, out of the language. Some people ain't, ain't with it. They will say young or seasoned or a veteran or these passive aggressive languages. Yeah. And with those languages, you have to kind of read the words around those mm-hmm. words to see if they're complimentary or if they're just being assholes. Mm-hmm. So it's like certain key things you have to check off and, and most and people don't look at. When we're reading it, we're not doing it with this deep dive of trying to figure out, you know, are these charged words? We it's more of our implicit, our our subconscious is our subconscious is reading these words and getting this negative impact with it. So if someone right. looks at it and they're like, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you read they're like, oh, you're reading too much into that. That's not a microaggression. Like, guess the fuck that is a microaggression. If it makes me feel uncomfortable it's and, a and I'm sending this out and it's supposed to it's supposed to be how you feel about me, mm-hmm. then no. Like and if for NIH and other fun, funding agencies and and if you're getting jobs in those type of places, most of the time you can read your letter of recommendation before you because it goes in a packet. 
So I had one case where I've seen, um, I've, I've, I've access to recommendation letters and I refuse to read them. Yeah, I read them because I like to know, and, and I read them because what Ooh. I like in my committee is, um, and people I ask, I be like, put one thing that I need to work on. Like, you can put in every other paragraph I am in a shining example, but I also want them to know that while you're bigging me up to be this human being, all human beings have flaws. Mm-hmm. And let them know what is my flaw. And you know, when you ask that question, most of the time they sit there and it's hard for them to pose what your actual flaw is. Mm-hmm. Because you've identified your main flaws knowing that you don't really have, that, that you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And like, like even my advisor, she was like, sometimes her main issue is that she might second guess herself. Okay. And she could be absolutely correct about an analysis, a research project, and how to do it. But it's just sometimes she has to learn how to trust herself. Okay. And that kind of stuff is good. Like, now, if you're an asshole and you ask another asshole to write you an asshole ass uh, <laughs> letter of recommendation, you might want to read your stuff. Like, but... um. No, I always ask, like, nobody's perfect. Right. And I don't want them having the concept, the misconception of me coming in there and I'm about to ride in on a unicorn and save the day. I and hope I'm, people don't think that. A lot of people, well, a lot of people big up or overstate people's letters of recommendations. And that's good because that means that they have faith in you, they trust you, and they want you to succeed in life. Mm-hmm. But I tell people, I was like, I want you to be realistic. Let them know that I am a great candidate because I'm a great candidate. But also let them know that as she progresses, these are some things, or this is something. You can put just one flaw. Like, Mm -hmm. this is something that she has to personally work on. And I don't feel... And some people, they'd be like, oh my God, I'm scared. That might hinder me from getting a job. Well, I mean, if you can't count and you can't read, then yeah, you might not get the job. (laughs) But if it's something as far as like... This person needs, needs to, to work on bi- their writing. build on their confidence. Their writing can be a little bit stronger. They are they are a strong writer and they are a published writer, but they also need to just work a little bit more on on directly stating what they mean. Okay, like it's just you and you. I hope you would get people who have you ultimately have faith in to write your letter of recommendation, who can sweeten the pot Mm -hmm. and give you a critique without it being complete and utter shade. Okay. So that's what it needs to be. Everybody can say you're a shining example and that they Mm. should build monuments of you. I don't choose the people that can't say I'm a shining example. Yeah. I literally, I, I curate my list very carefully. I want people who are down to earth to write my letter of recommendation. But let the writer know who I am on a personal level to you, how good I am at what I do, and then, hey, she's a, she's perfect for the job. She might need to just work on this, but mm-hmm. she, overall, she's perfect for the job. And I've been all right. It's worked for me. I mean, it's worked for me, but I'm still like, oof. Mm. I don't know. I think people have an issue with um, I guess, I mean, but understanding again, I their have... own flaws, though, too. Yeah, I, yeah. Some people don't don't like to hear that they ain't perfect. Uh, that shit don't bother me. <laughs> That's it. I'm like, tell me to my face. Don't write it in a letter to somebody else. <laughs> no, but my whole thing is be transparent. If you put it in the letter, tell me. Because even yeah, okay. if I didn't ask you, even if I didn't ask to see it, mm-hmm. and a lot of companies now ask, don't just give me the good stuff. 
let me know what this person needs work on. Yeah. A lot of companies now have made that requirement in letters of recommendations. And you, I, I like for you to tell me what you feel I need to work on. And then you can put in a letter of recommendation. Because we can talk about it and probably put it in a perspective that won't be harmful to me in my letter. And you know, this is really because so so especially forth. when you asked me to write you a letter, <laughs> I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. When is that though? Girl, that's like tomorrow. Yeah, Sam's due tomorrow. Why are we talking about that? I don't know. I'm gonna cut it out. <laughs> but um, no, you need to be able to write right. letters from a human standpoint. You you're not if you're writing a letter of recommendation, the key thing that you want to do is make sure that you glow, that you shine, and that you're the best. But it also needs to make sure that you are a human, that you are not just some perfectly research, you're some perfect researching machine. Right. It needs to also show humility. Right. So that's that's my last thing on there. And you can choose not to have them put a flaw in there. I just, I prefer it because it's like, that's just my thing. Hmm. You look stuck over there. Uh, kind of, I'm just sitting up there like, technically I have access to two letter recommendations that have been written for me, but they've been from a year, couple of years ago. I'm like, hmm, do I want to read that? Though I do remember seeing on um, on Twitter, someone wrote that for grad students, so you have the opportunity to waive or not waive your right to see your letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. And um, the advice was to always waive it. What? Don't, like, even though it's there, because if, when a letter writer writes the letter, they know whether or not you waived or not. Mm-hmm. And so the person that's reading it, they might think that the person wasn't being honest because you waived. Oh, yeah. When you turn in the application, yeah. But like, yeah, but that's in certain settings. I'm telling you. So would you, if someone is not willing to show you the letter recommendation, would you not allow them to write it? Well, if it requires me to put the packet together okay. and the packet requires a letter of recommendations... If you don't feel comfortable letting me read it, hell no, I don't want that letter of recommendation. But if they submit it directly? They can't. That's what I'm saying. A lot of places, it's an application packet oh. in which you have to submit. Oh, not so for... your bio sketch, all the, the personal, your cover letter, your, your research statement, all your letters of recommendation, you submit that. Um, there are a lot I've... of places that require you to do it. Okay. And I've only had the twice that happened, and that was for... Um, like for the department here where we submit all the stuff to it. And what my advisor did was he emailed the letter of recommendation to them, but he CC'd me on it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But anytime I've applied for anything online application, but did it give I you, send but them a link. When he CC'd you in it, you still had access to the letter, right? Yeah, but that was for like a peak thing. Right. Well, a lot of places, a bigger, they want a PDF that has your application... The cover letter, the CV, your research statement, personal statement, and all through those. Yeah, and the other thing was for the grad college. And that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. depending on where you are, you might have to get access to your letter of recommendation. And if you do, I'm not afraid to read it. Mm-hmm. But at the, ta- at the same time, this is how they see me. And sometimes I might be like, ah, whatever. And sometimes I might be like, damn, I could work on that. Like, when she told me that, I was like, damn, I could work on that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I don't, you have to learn not to take stuff personal. Personal. Like, keep it professional, never personal. 
I'm a Leo. We're the most volatile people out there. I'm the most emotional we person. Don't like, we don't like to be told. We don't like criticism. <laughs> like, tell me I did something wrong, and I'll be like, now see what you're not going to do. And that's usually how I do it. But I've learned that, like, sometimes people are telling you stuff, and they're not saying it in a way of being like you are an incompetent idiot and you don't know your your worth or your job. They're doing it in a way of like you can be better at this because you know your stuff. Stop, stop, uh, not having confidence to say what you feel. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, that's right. I need to actually speak up and okay. say what I feel. And I, know, I guess I'm just thinking the worst of somebody that put a flaw in the flaw is like a like it might be like they put a, a fatal flaw and it means you're not getting a job. But Mm-mm, but that's my whole thing. Like for one, the key thing is if they ask you for three. Have six of them. If you have six letters of recommendations that you put together, that you, you put together, you, you can, can put the best of the best of the best out of there. But that's only in those type of situations. Yeah. Now, other times, you have to go based off your relationship with people. If yeah. you know there's people and you're not going to get access to your letter of recommendations, but if you're if you're talking to people who you build up strong relationships with, like strong strong relationships with, like. They've basically been a mentor to you, mm-hmm. like a second, like a third or fourth parent to you. Those are the people that you probably want your letter of recommendation for. Not necessarily people who are like, oh, man, you taught that class. I'd love for you to come in and, uh, you know, write a letter of recommendation for you. He don't know you from Steve. You know, right. like, and those are the type of people you kind of step away from. You need to be around people that know you. Unless you just absolutely don't have anybody and you're like uh a senior in college and you just really don't have many mm-hmm. people to write a letter of recommendation for, it's totally fine getting a teacher to write it. Yeah, but make sure it's a teacher whose class you're passing, mm-hmm. who you are doing well in there. And they are excited to write that and letter. And they are excited to write that letter. Don't give it to somebody that's already sounding like, I guess. If you give it to somebody that's kind of like, a, I guess, that, that letter ain't going to be good. Yeah. All right, so Woo! we hope y'all enjoyed this episode talking about a little bit about cover letter, CVs, research statements, quite a bit about personal statements, and mm-hmm. a whole lot about letter recommendations. Yeah. But letter recommendations are kind of really that bread. And, uh, you know, some people put a lot of stock in them, some other people don't. Yeah. Sometimes letters of recommendation can make or break your application. Yeah, I mean, you could be a star student, wonderful CV, wonderful research, great publication record, and all it takes is somebody to say, this person yeah. does not get away, get um, go along well with others. They are not collaborative. They are uh, just a terror to be around. And it takes those people's opinions of you, and that can just completely ruin your shot at a position. Unless the person is looking for somebody that's not collaborative, terror, but around in a terror. But yeah, and then <laughs> you need to question if you really want that job. And if you do, you need to question yourself. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> we hope you enjoy this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at B-I-J-T-G underscore podcast. podcast. I'm quite excited with this episode. This is the first time me and you actually, like, got a little competitive. I know, right? This letter's a recommendation thing. I'm like, oh. I mean, oh I'm telling God. you, if you go home and you read those letters of recommendation, <laughs> you should read them. Like, some of them you might be like, what the let me but, eat a I mean, you got the job that. now, Drink girl. It, you can right. go back and read the letters of recommendation. Well, these ain't the ones for the job, but yeah, I was like, I don't know if I need a letter of recommendation for. I think the next time I'm gonna need recommendation letters is for tenure. Yeah, 
I don't I mean, know if I can read those. I mean, I read those. just go ahead. The, I mean, would you, you might find something and be like, damn, I do need to work on that. I say you do it. And like, you hey, give us Professor an update. McGonagall, can I see your, uh, can I see that letter? Actually, because one of them is from Professor McGonagall. I'd be like, can I? And I think I got one for, um, I think I got one from Professor McGonagall and one from, um, from RJ Lupin. See, and I mean, like, I think you should read them and come back be, with an update. Back, I'm going to come back crying and be like, oh, my God, they were so beautiful. See, and then you might be like, yeah, they did probably say that I should, yeah. you know, like, you know, work on Or that. he did what? Yeah. Uh, I'll see if I can find them. But I digress. We're, like, we're, we're pretty much done. And thank you guys for listening today. Like we said before, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at B-I-J-T-G underscore podcast. Um, you can email us at B-I-J-T-G podcast at gmail.com and just send us a tweet we love it like just say hello and so on share and so our forth. podcast say you love it we love it when you love it yeah and rate us on itunes yep right. bye, bye.